What is up, everybody? Tony here with the Potty Slate Podcast. I am joined, as always, by Nate and Anthony. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, man. I'm ready to uh, do the thing with you fine, gentlemen. Looking forward to it every week to nerd out, geek out, yeah. and have a yeah. few sinceres. Yeah, we like, we like to uh, have a few cold ones while we nerd out once a week here uh hit us up on the socials at potty slave on twitter and instagram had a lot of uh cool feedback to the foos episode we did last week just dropped a couple of photos up there this week to the end of this week now you're hearing it um the following week now right it's monday but yeah go check those out uh check out our top 10 foo fighters ranking from last week if you haven't yet and if you have and you liked it and you came back thank you we're we're, uh, we're loving to have new listeners here actually you asked how i was doing i'm actually doing really good because i um been listening to a lot of vinyl and i think it goes with uh kind of the season you know cozy up to your record player and i got a new record player oh yeah so that always helps but uh yeah a lot of records winter time just uh you know just put it on and tune everything else out Ooh, that's a different kind of music therapy right vinyl cozy in like nothing else going on it's got your full attention it's perfect yeah you're, you're ready to you're ready to segue already nate i love that <laughs> <laughs> so segue episode King. 50 right boys i mean damn this is this is crazy to me we're almost a year into the potty slave experience uh and yeah our first set list item nate just uh was segueing into it heavy therapy an episode we did months ago what episode 16 or something yeah. uh, loud music angry music sometimes makes you feel good it's been scientifically proven it's almost another p- patio slave prediction in a lot of ways yeah but now, you know now we have some some grounds to speak on so yeah what t- what's going on there yeah there was a uh i think it was guitar world online guitar mm-hmm. world pu- published uh, an article that uh you know highlighted a recent study i'm not sure what it was based out of it was the, it was the vera clinic it's like 1,500 uh, people. But uh, yeah, the study revealed that metal is one of the best genres of music for lowering blood pressure and and anxiety levels. And for me, you know, someone who's been on this tip for over 20 years, it's like sky's blue, grass is green, and yeah, this. Yeah, you knew this. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> like this, this is why I listen to it, you know? But um, yeah, you're right, Nate. We now have scientific evidence that heavy therapy is a thing and now we need to trademark that name yeah definitely we're gonna throw that on a shirt uh maybe a patio slate podcast heavy therapy t-shirt right and we go we go uh, live with the web store down the road that'd be uh, one of the first ones because i mean early on that was one of our our most listened to episodes and i think people really resonate with the fact that heavy music is a catharsis it is that kind of release maybe you had a shitty day at work like most of us do sometimes and you want to just kind of rage out a little bit and get those feelings out and this is a good way to do it and that's why this works uh you know what was funny to me though in reading that there was one genre of music that beat it out did you guys see really? that it was something like 80 80s pop 80s pop uh. <laughs> yeah but that makes sense though you get like hauling oats or something you know you get upbeat i get that i also ride for that stuff so that makes sense to me too but yeah i mean it makes sense right we love the heavy therapy here yeah, that's cool. And actually, to to your point, like it's funny because it almost takes away the stigma, right? Because you don't look like a death metal. I'm gonna kick your fucking ass, guy. And and that's not like a bad thing, you know. But it just shows that the music is very, you know, universal. And the fact that it's now has health benefits is like, oh no, it maybe it'll come around full circle and have some uh, some more spins all together for that for that genre altogether you know i kind of compare it to like cannabis like cannabis was like oh you're a stoner now it's like a publicly publicly traded commodity you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> so. it's true it's it's come full circle what um 
what made me uh, laugh in the article was the doctor that administered the uh, the study. He uh, this is to quote him. Um, I didn't get his name, but he says, "Angry music can help listeners process their feelings, and as a result, lead to greater well-being." Which is a pretty bold claim, but I I I, I subscribe to that. I believe that. I'm a late convert. I mean, I've always liked heavy-ish music, but getting into the the heavier stuff a little later, and yeah. That's exactly what it does. <laughs> you just feel like uh, you you just let that kind of animosity go as opposed to letting it sit there and build up and faster and make you feel like shit. Now, kind of rage it out, you know, turn it up on your ride home and then you get home and relax. You've done it. You've let that let that feeling go. You've, you know, put the, the loud music, the heavy music on and had that catharsis. Yeah. Kind of brings me back to like going to the gym when gyms are still open. It's like you see the meatheads with the like- you know, headphones blaring metal. You can like hear the metal through like the over the ear headphones. And you're like, now you can be like, you know what? I feel like it's pain. I know what he's going through. He's just trying to get through it. It's medicine. Chalk that up to things that we already knew, but now the world can see is a, you know, scientifically proven study. Who knows how, how great the study was, but it, it, Hey, we're down for it. It makes sense to us. Yeah. 1500 people. It doesn't seem like a big sampling, but it's, it's enough where, you know, it just makes you wonder how many genres they played, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. what the, yeah. you know, do you play, like, who who did they play, you know what I mean? Is it yeah. like, you know, is it, well, you know, entry level stuff or is it like, you know, Napalm Death? Like, what what is it, you know? I wonder <laughs> also, like, if this goes like 15 years ago or 20 years ago when radio was a little more prevalent and more and more people had to listen to that to find things and then you heard the same song for the 15th time, would that raise your blood pressure and make you less happy? <laughs> Probably, right? What is it? Earworm? Uh, what's the... Oh, yeah, my copyrighted Tony right here. Earworm terrorism. <laughs> you just, like, say a song or a lyric to somebody just so that it gets stuck in their head. That's earworm ter- terrorism. Chumbawamba. Are you no. Jimmy Ray? <laughs> Q in When September Ends by Green Day. Uh-huh. Not oh, again. No. Yeah, or or uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. That was on everywhere. <laughs> and we love Green Day. We're a Green Day house. But, I mean, it was on every radio station in the country for, what, six months? It's like, oh, you walk a lonely road, Billy, do you? All right, well, cool. <laughs> Next, I've heard this a thousand times. Everywhere. The Target bathroom, everywhere. You can't everywhere. Exactly. exactly. Cool story, Billy. Now give me Dookie, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I want play a song off Insomniac, for God's sake. On to your point on like what were they listening to i wonder if it converted anyone that was like anti-metal they're like this is actually pretty good have you ever seen like on youtube those like you know older people reacting to like certain music yep. like yes. heavy music like you can tell this i almost in those videos see the opposite where if like it would raise their blood pressure because i don't know what what it is so yeah it makes me wonder like because it depends on the population yeah but uh cool story another um you know potty of slave i don't know if it's prediction but just cemented what we've already known we're always ahead of the curve, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now it's Patio Slave slash Nerdery Certified, which is always great. All right. So we had another item. So that was a cool uh, cool headline we saw. The other headline, which uh, nothing really heavy about this one, but uh, a, a very interesting combination of artists are going to form together for a song, DMX and Bono of uh, U2. So it was announced that um, on the Drink Champs podcast, Noriega, uh, hip-hop dude, his uh his podcast DMX was a guest and he announced that Bono is gonna be on his upcoming album which uh I don't know I'll go first I'm all about it, about it I don't think this should genres shouldn't have any boundaries music shouldn't collaboration etc cetera, etc cetera. 
I think this is, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, it's cool that they're coming together. It's a little perplexing though. When you think about it, I'm just geeking out here, but DMX in particular, you know, he just got out of jail for, I think tax evasion. Right. So he's on the other spectrum. Uh, when you consider U2 or Bono in particular, is one of the you know, richest rock stars on the planet. So, you know, who's scratching who's back really. It's kind of Bono giving a tip to, to DMX. It's a good favor, I guess. Um, but I love both artists and always have. So I think it's great. And, uh, the more I read into the article, you know, it really is kind of who you know. So this is more of an it looks like a invite or kind of introduction by Jimmy Ivey, who is, you know, the know everyone, plugged in with everyone type person in the industry. So I can see how that kind of went down and could literally just be like a cocktail party. So that's kind of cool. A couple things jumped in my head when I read this. One, not Bono's first foray into hip hop, right? He, I think he was on, uh, Damn, Kendrick Lamar's Damn a few years back. And I believe uh, he'd done some work with Jay-Z and stuff. So yeah, not not his first, uh, you know, dalliance with a, with a hip-hop artist. Love it. Obviously, DMX is, we grew up with DMX uh, and we grew up with U2. At one point during U2's tenure uh, as a band, they've been the biggest rock band in the world, right? Yep. And DMX is a rapper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Put those two things together. What do we get? Rap rock. Is this new metal? <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> It's not new metal, but I mean, I thought it was funny. Yeah, I don't know. Like, will it be a rock-infused rap song, or will it be just like Bono will be singing harmonies in the hook? Like, who? Uh... I bet it's the latter. You think so? Yeah, because it's not like the Edge or whatever is joining. It's just, it's just, um, it's just Bono. But this reminds me. I, I did see another headline, which is uh, Chino of the Deftones is going to be on Trippy Reds, the rapper, his upcoming rock album. So, like, I think genres and you know, sound boundaries are gone as far as everyone mm-hmm. knows. I think you're right. And I think the pandemic has lent itself to people being more open to these different genre bending collaborations. Yeah. In fact, it might just be another one of those things where they're looking at the metrics like DMX, he's, he's still got a pretty good following month over month. You too, obviously, too. So we can kind of throw these legacy acts together and see what we come up with. It's not going to fail, right? you're definitely going to get spins and that's where the royalties are coming from these days. And there's no touring and you two is a touring machine. So, you know, he's probably like, yeah, it's almost like taking a commercial spot. Like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. I mean, I got nothing to lose, whatever. That's a great point. Get a cut on that royalty. And Hey, maybe it brings people there that were U2 fans that would never have listened to it otherwise. And it brings people to U2 uh, from the DMX camp that were never U2 fans. So that, that could be, it's a good way to market yourself to another audience, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's the Bono Etsy project. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing too is, uh, in this era, you know, this this era of technology and remote recording, Bono w- didn't have to leave his house. I'm sure. I'm sure he's got his own studio or he's mm-hmm. got one close by. He just, you know, gets probably gets the, sent the master track or whatever. And uh, hey, do your thing, dude. I got a tangent yeah. question for you guys regarding this. So. If I agree with you, Tuan, that that is definitely a thing that's happened, especially during this time where I mean, it was happening before where people didn't necessarily need to be in the same room to create music. Is the music we're going to get over the next couple of months going to sound a little disconnected because of that? Like we had a lot more of that people laying down their own track or their own piece by themselves. And there wasn't as many people in the room doing their thing. I have, I have a take. I mean, I don't think you'll notice a difference because I think that's how the world works now. It's like, well, like t- take like the world of hip hop. Like, there's beat makers that just shop the beats out, and they don't care as long as it's a, a paycheck. So, 
it's not like the artist is necessarily in there curating the beat. So they get the beat and then, you know, most rap features is this same thing. It's the remote recording. They never step foot in the same area. And in fact, I remember hearing about some music videos where features, they're not even, they were never on the same set. They were recorded separately and they just spliced them together, you know, studio magic or whatever. Um, for rock bands, I don't know. That's a, that's a good one. I guess it would make more sense for rock bands. It would maybe sound or feel more disconnected. Well, I was going to piggyback off what Anthony was saying because given, you know, our nerdery investigations, you know, I've noticed that a lot of the bands, to your point, Tuan, are sending literally demos via email to put together a song in an album anyway. That's been kind of the cadence for the last at least 10 years. It seems like from just like articles and, you know, yeah, he sent me that demo and we put it together, we spliced it together and we put out our newest album. It's like, kind of disheartening you're like oh you guys actually don't even jam that sucks i don't know what that a lot of that has to do with the fact that people live in different areas and they can't just go to a rehearsal space i think that's what it is you know that's part of it but i think also you know you think of like metallica i was listening to a lot of metallica uh earlier in the week and i'm like those guys hate each other's guts so they're probably like i'm not gonna fucking work with lars i'll send him my riff and he can send me his and we'll get it together but yeah there's no way you're gonna pay me to get in a room with that guy so you know so there's always that but um Depending on the situation tone, I think, you know, you make a good point. There is some band have that in-room energy and has COVID dissipated that for certain artists, I'm sure. But, um, you know, hopefully we'll see that kind of reconvene as things start to get better and open up optimistically, of course. But um, I think there's probably some of that happening for sure, but not the, at the extent that we that you think. Yeah, and, and a lot of these bands, maybe if they are gearing up for an album release, probably got together at some point so maybe it's not as prevalent as i'm making it out to be but i just wonder it's a thought like is this going to sound like a disconnected disjointed group of music a time frame in music rock music or indie you know type of singer songwriter type things where you've got more than one person in a band is it going to sound weird and i hope not but you're, you're probably right i mean with technology and the way they clean everything up nowadays it's probably never even going to be a big thing It'll be more the content of the music that we look back on down the road. I think there's two sides of it. I think what you're saying could be very well the case. And we would, you know, musical coming out in 2022 where that's proven point. And like this band that was so tight rushed it or like had never worked in a space where they were sending each other demos and stuff. And we're like, well, we got to put out an album. We got to make this deadline for the, for our contract. And it does suck. And it does, you know, it's a dud and doesn't translate. So I'm sure we'll see that. And maybe I feel like that's maybe even a prediction on your end. That's a good point though. No, you're, that, yeah. I, I like that point. I think you're right. But there are, there are certain albums and two that come to mind that fit this are like newfound glories coming home and incubus morning view where those were demoed all demoed in a, a destination and you can feel it. Mm-hmm. It'd be hard to feel something when, you know, a guy writes a riff on his couch and, shoots it over the country in an email you know what i mean right yeah it just doesn't sound the same as being in the room and maybe feeling that energy yeah there'll be some of that probably and then there'll be some more like wow these guys or gals still sound amazing here we go like <laughs> i'm excited so i feel like if they've exercised it before it could work if they haven't it'll work against them and those artists you just mentioned tuan in particular makes sense even the Chili Peppers, you know, they usually write as a group. So for Shantae's back in the fold, like, are they sending is they're most likely sending each other emails back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they could be kind of riding that line like, ooh, this could be good, but also be be lacking that energy collectively. 
Yeah, I mean, even take like working from home. Like, the, I, I, you feel like you lose a, kind of that personal touch, even though you can, you know, yep. s- uh, zoom them in or Skype them in or whatever. Uh, it's just not the same. And everybody's zoomed out, right? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. used it for fun, but if you're doing this every day, all day for work, I could see this getting getting old quick. Oh yeah, yeah. Fun, great, great way to relate it to to ourselves because I I couldn't agree more. Like the whole team energy of being in an office, like it has its perks and it has its downside, but the perks are pretty great. You know, it's like collective energy of like, hey, we're kicking ass right now. This is sweet, like a real team. You know. Yep. Through Skype and through Zoom, it's like cool. Great meeting. All right, cool. See ya. You know, it's like very dry. You know? How do so. I log off of this thing again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I'm a cat. <laughs> I'm not a cat. Uh, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a cat. <laughs> Memes. That will make sense to whoever finds this seven years from now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, I'm i excited for this. I will check it out. And how I look at it is if it doesn't work between these two, I'll just I just won't listen to it. I, I, you know, I'll listen to it once and either I like it or I won't. No harm, no foul. Yeah. That's kind of like the commercial analogy. It's just like, hey, it's commercial. That's a shitty sellout commercial. And then you forget about it. It's just over and done. It's not like you're going to revisit it, you know? Unless they're forcing it on TV every five (laughs) commercial breaks. Oh, there it is again. Cool. Uh, Yeah, it's the new Green Day Boulevard in the Target bathroom. I'm like, ah, fuck, I can't get away from this. Again. Yeah. (laughs) Again. All right. So we have a segment that we didn't tease. But again, if you're here, you probably read it (laughs) when you clicked on the episode. Uh, live albums, favorite live. They could be an album, CD, uh, record. They could be. I've got a DVD that might might throw in there, depending on how things go. So yeah, uh, favorite piece of kind of live music that uh, you feel is a great cohesive piece of live, you know, paraphernalia. So uh, these live albums sometimes do. Do we want to kind of talk about how maybe some of them have come about in the past? Yeah. Maybe the end of a record deal type thing. I know we've we've hinted at that in the past and. Maybe it's a three album deal or a four album deal. And oh, here's a greatest hits or here's a live album, you know, dot of our deal piece. And, and sometimes that's not necessarily great. Uh, but then there are bands that obviously do this completely different. So I'm going to say this I don't like live CD. Like, I don't like live CDs. I, even for bands I really like, I never choose to put them on over the recorded stuff. Now, live DVDs, different story. I'll put those on. I like the visual, and that's why I, why I watch a lot of live stuff on YouTube. But yeah, historically and even now, I I'm not a huge live CD guy. Hmm. I'm gonna try to convert you because I love the live album and live CD and whatever it is, live bootleg experience so much. So I'm almost like the the polar opposite. But I understand where you're coming from because you probably is it because you like just the great sounding, no mistakes, like clear sounding mix of the song rather than like a you know variation of that same song yeah well i i i think part of it is most of my favorite bands uh sound wise doesn't translate well live uh from a sound perspective the show and the energy translates beautiful but the sound uh most of it sounds terrible so i'd rather listen to the recorded or go see them in a non-pandemic situation yeah that makes okay that makes sense yep and I can attest to that in many situations. I know what you're talking about. Depending on the artist, I wouldn't, yeah, I couldn't, I would never listen to them on a live track just because I know it's going to be miserable, even though they might even be good live. You know, they just don't have the infrastructure, I guess, to support that live recording or whatever. Yep. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. We, t- we talk about Slipknot a lot here. Sorry, sorry, Brendan. <laughs> We're going to talk about Slipknot again. Uh, they, they, 
I've seen them live once with Unate. I know I think all three of us have seen them. So that version of them way better than like I'd much rather see them in person. See the the energy, the crowd be part of it that way. It it is pales in comparison to uh, the CD pales in comparison to that. So I'm with you there, Twan, especially for some music. Now, maybe we need to open you up to some different music that does sound great on a live CD or record, right, Nate? I think that's what we're going to yeah. do here. <laughs> that's the conversion. That's what I'm talking about. But also to your point, Tony, and what I think you're saying to, to Twan is, you know, visually, Slipknot's a great example. Visually, that's mm-hmm. actually a great experience. So like live Slipknot DVDs are amazing because Very it's cool. like, ah, oh, this is the real deal, you know? But yeah, on a, on a record, I actually almost chose that record that Slipknot put out was it Slipknot Live like 9.0 or something? 9.0, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, this is good, but because I can't visually see it, it's kind of just like whatever. Disaster Pieces, I think, was the DVD. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Well, they put something, they put out, was it Not Fest from 2019 earlier on in the pandemic on YouTube for free streaming? Yeah. yeah. And that's fucking awesome. Like, I watched that. I was like, yeah, all right. I can see why people would rather watch it than listen to it on CD. But yeah, I think as far as um why bands put them out, I've always assumed it's it's label uh, satisfy a deal one or money grab, which those go hand in hand typically. And I would I would venture to guess a lot of like the well known live albums wasn't even the bands they might not not have had, have had any say. It was the label mm. just hey toss this out. We need another album from you. Your last album sucked. We want to move units. We're we're putting this out. I think two of mine are completely different than that. Right. Actually all three are, but one's a DVD, so it doesn't really it doesn't count for that. But yeah, I do. I think that the the couple a couple of the ones that I have aren't that at all. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, it, that that yeah, I think that goes against like my own like conventional wisdom of it. Mm-hmm. So you want to get into it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Who's going spin first? the wheel, who's up? Spin the wheel. Tick 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 Tony. Tony and I'm gonna go power. first because I don't want Nate to take it. <laughs> so this one this one was not to I don't believe was to satisfy a label a label contract or anything like that. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. It is a massive massive undertaking. It's probably what 48 or 50 songs I think. Uh it was 400 or so tracks they whittled it down and I think it was over like 3500 different uh live shows from this band, this frontman and his band. Any guesses? Oh, okay. Is it Tom Petty? It's Bruce, Tom Petty. Oh, I was gonna say Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Tom Petty's live anthology from 2009. So that came nice. out in November of '09, and has just so many great versions of his songs live. I think, and there's a theme for what I picked tonight. They're bands that I've seen, bands or artists that I've seen, so I can put myself there when listening to the live version. Does that make sense? I think that's the thing. I think that works. Yeah. Yep. And this is, I've seen Petty twice, once with Unate in, at the Tweeter or whatever it's called now, uh, in Norwood, Mass., just outside of Foxborough, Mass., and once in Portland, Maine with uh, our episode 17 guest, Rob. So we were, I think we were like eight rows off the uh, stage in Portland. It was an awesome show. That was probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago. So just phenomenal show, phenomenal live show. Petty sounds just as good in person as he does on live recording, as he does on studio recordings so that's another piece that makes a great live album for me he or she or they all sound the same there's not a lot of break there's not a you know this doesn't sound as good because there's imperfections there are imperfections sometimes the song is 
12 minutes long. Like it's good to be king on this uh, <laughs> the live compilation. And that yeah. song is fucking awesome at six or seven minutes long, but double it live with the crowd, you know, going nuts and the, you know, guitar solo and the piano and throw that all in there. It's just a feeling you don't get from the studio recording. So having seen it live, that's probably why I love this one. Uh, Nate, I think this feeds into you. You went to Bonnaroo in 06? Uh, first one was in 07, unfortunately. 06 oh, so was a great lineup. You just missed the 06 yeah. one. The Learning to Fly from 06 at Bonnaroo. It's on Apple Music as a video. I'm sure it's on YouTube. I'll put it on the playlist. It is awesome. It's a great version of that song because the crowd takes over for half of it. And it's just, it gives you chills. And Petty kind of harmonizes over the crowd. It's nice. fucking awesome. You can't beat that. So this is why, this is what makes a great, a great uh, live record for me. And this is up there as far as live albums go. Does he talk, do they, does he talk between songs and stuff? Yeah, not a lot uh, when I've seen him, but yeah, slow, Southern, from Gainesville, Florida. Because I I love that. I love that. Because like, you don't get that obviously on the rec, on the recorded record. And um, sometimes it's just, it's super, super genuine stuff or, you know, that they say that you just. I don't know. You, you can tell a lot about someone the way they inter- interact with the crowd, I feel like. And Tom Petty is the best example of that. Like you said, minimal words, but like you said, Southern drawn out. He's like a movie character, you know, like a, I don't even know, like a Robert Downey Jr. of music kind of thing. Just like, is, is he like you? Yeah. <laughs> well, me, I'm a lot of words, but yeah. But yeah, no, Tony, you're funny. It's funny you chose that because that actually was one of mine. So I'll cross that out. Good thing I got some ah, safeties sorry. here. Sorry, that's why I went first. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Good to Be King is my favorite uh, Tom Petty song. So that version is is amazing on this album. And I haven't seen that Bonnaroo take on, uh, which song was it? Learning to Fly. Learning to Fly. You've, heard, is... you've heard the the live version recorded, though, I'm sure. Oh, totally. It's yep. kind of slowed down and, and halfway through the, the crowd just starts getting into it. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Actually, I take it back. Learning to Fly is my favorite Tom Petty song. It'd be Kinks number two, but um, yeah, 06, the 06 Monterey was the year before I went and that was a, a legendary one with Radiohead and it's said to be like the last Monterey before it went corporate or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the in-between songs, you know, like I was saying to you, Tuan, like it elevates the studio recording because you get that, you know, fully immersive experience of, oh, this is, I'm, I feel like I'm there. And I get to know the front man and the band a little bit more, even with like the minimal words, you kind of, you get to, you understand their personality that much more. It's like the music's one thing, and then you get to hear them kind of converse a little bit. You're like, oh, this guy really is who he is in the songs. It's not just like a facade. So that's probably a notable reason why I love live recordings is depending on who you get for a frontman, mainly the front person, because they're the one talking a lot of the time, you get to really know that person as a nerd, you know, not necessarily on a personal level, but it seems personal all the time. And how long is that tone? I want to say it's like 48 songs. It's four, Damn. it was four CDs or five CDs. Uh, and it's a, I don't have the vinyl. I do own the deluxe edition that has a boot, not bootleg, but like a vinyl, one of the first live recordings they ever did. They pressed and nice. it has a DVD of the making of wildflowers, which they just repressed last year and re-released finally. And an all time Tom Petty album. So, if you're a Petty fan, I mean, this is awesome. I, it lived in my car for a long time. It was another one of those ones that was in a six CD changer. And sometimes I listen to tra- disc one. Sometimes, sometimes I listen to three. Just felt depend on my mood. And it was Petty. So, I, you know, growing up listening to Petty's greatest hits with my dad on road trips, it obviously hit the spot. It's kind of sad that 
you know, CDs won't be pressed here pretty soon. Like that's coming. And it just makes you wonder like something like that, would it ever hit, you know, hit the light of day outside of streaming, you know, or maybe they'd press it on vinyl. I sold all my CDs a few years back, which part of me is not all of them, but part of me is a little bummed I did, but they also took up a ton of space. And uh, this is one that I hung on to. I was like, I'm not, this one's staying with me. I, I like this too much. Yeah, when I wrote this one down, I was surprised that it came out in 09 because I feel like it came out the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, it came out that long ago already? Like that was, it seemed like yesterday. And he was still alive then, obviously. So Tom Petty's no longer with us, unfortunately. But last time I saw him, he was, same thing in, in uh, relation to this album. Same vibe, same playing the same songs as band. They're all masters of the craft. So like they really are extremely tight. Or they were extremely tight at what they do. Um, one of the members actually lives about 20 minutes north of where I live. I think it's, I can't remember which member, but I used to see him at the bar. I'm like, oh, God damn, it's one of the, you know. The Harpers, yeah. Go knock on the door, right there. <laughs> What's that? He's, and go knock on his door and he can come on next week. Yeah, great pick, man. Sorry to steal that from you, but, and I, I think this goes back to Tuan. It, it, this is one that is not to satisfy a deal. Like this is, hey, we have right. a million songs and we've never put out a proper massive live album. Here yep. you go. Here's everything. Yeah, I, yeah, I I would agree with that. Just given the context of it, and I don't know, he doesn't, he never came across as a money grabbing kind of guy. Anyway, I was gonna say the most ironic thing of the whole thing, of everything, is the fact that Tom Petty was very vocal of his hate against the music industry collectively. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, he put out the album, the live album, but it definitely wasn't like a gun to the head. It was like I'm gonna do this because I want to do it, which is cool. Well, and and they never repressed while he was alive. They never repressed Wildflowers because. It wasn't a priority for him. I think he wanted to at some point correctly, but was never like, yeah, let's let's do the money grab thing. Let's let's put this out there. So, yeah, uh, he I think last week in talking about Dave Grohl, we put Grohl like I said, Grohl is kind of the new boss. He really is the new Petty. Right. Yeah. I mean, just so many hits was a nerd like Petty, wanted to do the Sound City thing he did with had, you know, Petty was big in Sound City back in the day. Um, I feel like that is better comparison yeah you could be right also known as like tom petty in particular like one of the nicest guys in rock so same with dave Grohl, obviously yeah so a lot of parallels there yeah it just seems genuine and that's actually why i asked if he if he had any banter between songs and whatnot because there's nothing worse than like the stereotypical how's everyone doing out there make some noise you know it's just like you've heard that a million times but then there's other artists where like you can tell they're like genuinely happy to be there and they love what they're mm-hmm. doing and sometimes they'll personalize the message to your town like hey i just yeah i just had some lobsters down at you know the wharf or whatever you know it's like all right cool you know i'm glad you're indulging in the in the local uh, scene here so nate you want to go you want me to go yeah i got one locked and loaded here i was putting a bunch down and this one came like kept recurring because it was such a formative live album for me where i was like okay i love live music and I need to check out more. And it was kind of a driver for that. So this album dropped in 1998. So a 90s OG. We're in eighth grade and I'm discovering music, but not necessarily the, not necessarily the live part of it. And I think this is kind of what put me in that direction a little bit more, uh, you know, spearheaded that a little bit more. So, so 311 Live 1998 was quintessential for me. I can't remember who introduced this to me. I want to say his name was Ian. Uh, one of our friend's brothers got me into a lot of live music from live bootlegs. And this isn't necessarily a bootleg. It is a, a record label pressing 
I believe on Capricorn at the time, uh, which is no longer a label, but um, fantastic live rendition of their songs. You know, it really captivates what they do, what, what translates in their live show, which I've seen them. I count, I don't have the database one, but I, I've seen them probably 15 times. So this spearheaded that effort to see them as much as possible. And I just loved it. And I was like such a young buck, you know what I mean? Like hearing these songs, hearing their vibe, like translate from the albums to this. I was like, oh, this is what it must be like to see them in concert. You know, they're very interactive. Chad Sexton, one of my favorite drummers of all time. He's got, a, you know, almost three minute solo in here. Yeah, Applied Science, right? Uh, yep, Applied Science, exactly. And this is one of those albums that I, I did keep in my car. And I think I wore this out so much that it like stopped playing correctly. Like I just wore it thin, you know? All right. I'm going to put you on the spot, Nate. What was the actual CD? Do you remember? Like what do you the, mean? The, oh, the name? The, no, the image, like the the actual CD. Do you remember what was on it? Oh, yeah. No, it's like this uh, really cool artwork, like uh, actually really cool poster that I always wanted. Uh, artwork of some like sketchy like music industry guy in the well, front. Well, no, the actual you... disc. Do you remember? Oh, the disc? No, I don't know. If I'm remembering correctly, it was that cartoon character's like mouth with the teeth. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I'll. I'll. We. We can story it or something because I have the CD upstairs, but I remember that like the, his mouth was open. I think. Anyway, go ahead. No, I think you're right. Yeah, very uh, charismatic artwork for this album. Um, but I remember the, and it's funny you bring up the artwork because the, the album cover artwork is like everything we know about the music industry today. Like there's a guy like telling you here, you go to the show. It's like that, like, that guy is like the Live Nation guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, I just took all your money. Enjoy like the, the show. evil uh, magician looking dude or the yeah. devil yes, or whatever. Exactly. It, well, so yep. they did for a long time. Did they do 311 Day in New Orleans? Yes. That has New Orleans vibes to me. The cover. Yes. Yep. Yep. Well, a lot of the songs were recorded in, in New Orleans. Yeah. So that that makes sense. I mean, uh, it's a place that they were using for 311 Day, which is this massive, massive uh, concert event that they'd done a long time on March 11th for many years, different places all over the world. Uh, but New Orleans was kind of one of the first places they made their home as far as that that went. So I bet this was yeah, this was their kind of homage to New Orleans being that that album art was their homage to that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it was actually recorded on September 17th, or yeah, September 17th, 1997, yep. released on November 3rd, 1998 at the UNO Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, which is where they do 311 Day every year, or they did for a while. I think they moved it to Vegas for a while. Yeah. Um, they did Vegas this past year, right, as the, the world was ending, as as the uh, lockdown started, and we we were a little critical, not critical, but we were <laughs> yeah. like, guys, could this be yeah. a super spreader? <laughs> <laughs> yeah this record is awesome i love this record growing up I, i'm with you Nate. it was a, a record listened to all the time especially i mean our friendship dates our like close friendship i would say dates back to junior year of high school when we all had lockers really close to each other and yeah. a, a lot of our time was spent shooting the shit in between class about music or trading cds or going like, hey where are we going after school to listen to music and hang out and do whatever because that's what we did and this band was the band for for me anyway at that that time and i think while. it was for you guys yep. too yeah like you guys introduced me to them through this kind of you know bromance of music that we have so i, I just love it it's great applied science that drum solo but i can hear it now i haven't listened yeah. to this record in years i can hear it in my head right now so it, it's definitely ingrained in my uh, my dna and i'm gonna be kind of a hater but put a spin on it this was a great time 
for this to come out because it was before a lot of the stuff, you know, not to diss 311, but there, there were some duds near the end. And, you know, they had a great, I think we said six album run. This was maybe, actually, you know what? This might be a little too early to get, a, you know, so this misses Sound System era. This was, this was before that. But yeah, this was a good time. Sound System and misses what, From Chaos? Chaos. Those two would yep. probably be yeah. the two that I would want more of on this. Yeah, and they were touring off of Transistor on this album. Yeah, because Beautiful Disaster's in there. Yeah. But I'd rather have this then than have it in 2021, just because I don't know if I would, I don't know how much old stuff they still play. Yeah. And pre Sound System and From Chaos, like listening to the album again today, I was like, they were already like, like mega huge in their own right. Now, even I guess this is an arena show, but they were playing theaters for the most part for this, for this leg, I think. And they were already on top of the world for just their craft. You know, so yep. the fact they put out two other killer albums after is like icing on the cake. But like this almost captures them on like pre like huge, like they were already pretty damn big, but almost like cult following status where like Sound System and From Chaos were, you know, they were radio play all day. Right. Um, I think Transistor got some, but it was, I don't know, maybe in the top 40, definitely not in the top 10, I wouldn't think. And then From Chaos comes up and Sound System and it's like, even the artwork and the promotions very in your face. So this, I think, captured 311, and it's maybe their last organic, we're a hippie rock band from Omaha, to like, yeah. oh, we're this California band. Not really, but kind of, you know. Uh, Tuan, to answer your question about do they play, how much do they play of the old stuff, their Mardi Gras 2020 live album, Beautiful Disaster, All Mixed Up, Silver, Come Original, Don't Stay Home, Do You Right, Purpose. So, yeah, they play a lot of old stuff. Is that an extended list, or is that a typical one? Or uh, it's this is a show from last year, early last nice. year. So, oh wow, I don't know. I mean, Sick Tight is from from Chaos Down, obviously. Yep. Creatures, some stuff a little a little after too. And there are some songs in here that I'm not as aware of, so those are probably more recent. But that's a solid list, though. Yeah, no, they still slay. They still slay life. Like last time they came to San Diego. Maybe they came after actually, but the last time I, I went to pay to see them was at the House of Blues, which is a tiny venue for them. I think it holds, I think the cap, I want to say is 1200, maybe 1400. And uh, Zebrahead was opening. I was like, this is perfect. It's like a $40 ticket. I'm in. And the rest of the tour was like amphitheater. So I think it was a special engagement, but nonetheless, like they were fucking great, man. They were still tight. It was a fantastic show. And like you said, a lot of deep cuts, a lot of legacy songs, and sprinkled in some like newer songs. I think they almost know like, you know, their earlier stuff is what hits for the fans and they appreciate more and the new stuff is is good, but you know, they definitely knew they were on a pretty strong stretch for a long time. So they lean heavy on that set list for sure. Good pick. All right, Twan. All right. So this one here, I'll I'll tease it a little bit. It um I'll actually call back to what you mentioned, Tone, in the intro, which is you mentioned the word cohesive, where a lot of these live albums are cohesive because they're recorded in one location well this is kind of the antithesis of that and what i'm talking about is nirvana's from the muddy banks of wishka came out in 96 and it's it's a weird live compilation album every song's from a different performance a different year it actually spans like five years so some of these are even pre-grol and this is gonna this is gonna be this is gonna sound weird for this segment but this album kind of stinks like it's not a great like it's just, it's not cohesive. It's super raw. The recordings aren't good, but it it teleports me back to being 11. I was 90, 1996. I was 11. 
I got this, and I got it through Columbia House BMG mail order. Wow. So nice. if we have any young, uh, younger than us listeners, I feel like we were at the cusp of like any younger people wouldn't really know what that is, but basically a mail order uh, CD. They tried to get you on like a subscription thing, but they would bait you in with uh, penny CDs where you just pay a penny and you pay shipping for like 10 CDs. And then every CD after that was like 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. So you just, I I remember like you just sign up with different members of your household and you'd have a whole CD collection. But this was one that I had when I was young. And again, it's not a great album, but I think it captures the essence of Nirvana Perfect because they're not a good live band. They're a great experience. Like if I've seen live footage, they're great visually, sound-wise, terrible. Cobain's terrible. And that's why like, I, you know, we mentioned earlier in this episode where like some of that stuff just doesn't translate. And that's kind of why I don't really dig a lot of the live stuff. But this one it holds a special place. Um, I love the CD cover. It's just that like burnt orange with the pictures of the band. It's so simple. One last thought is tying it back to if this was a money grab, it came out after Cobain died. And it was originally supposed to be the B side to Unplugged, but they split it. And I think that's a money situation. Try to milk it. It's like all those Tupac albums that came out before after he died. So, do you, are you guys familiar with this one? Yeah, a little bit. And actually, the point you make is is spot on. Like, there, it's not really that great of an album, but it Mm-mm. it catches the grit of grit. There you go. Grunge in its heyday, like grunge in its heyday. And you know, we had Lamps Mercer on here, uh, photographer, mainly for Pearl Jam, but the grunge era and just early '90s, mid '90s, like he painted this picture that I wished I was like, I wish I was there so bad. Like if there was any way for me to be younger or sorry, older and live that when we were really getting into music, I would pretty much do anything. I would pay anything to to be in that experience and, and fully understand what was going on. And that, that bootleg captures that it's like gritty. It's cheap. It's, it's dirty, it's sweaty, but it's real. And that's awesome. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's what grunge really represents. It's like, yeah, this is like, you know, just music, a bunch of, bunch of us just came together and threw this together and you guys are going to mosh and whatever it's going to be whatever it's what your parents tell you is just noise kind of thing you know it's perfect so that captures that but i agree with you that it's just not the best live recording and kurt's just not great live it's kind of like sublime live like you know he just wasn't great a great performer so but it captures that kind of like moment in history for someone that's like essentially a staple for the music industry forever so for that reason alone, like it almost has to be that way. So you make a good point on that. I'm not as familiar with this one. Obviously, I'm more familiar with the MTV Unplugged, which is iconic as far as the MTV Unplugged series is concerned and as far as Nirvana is concerned. They, you're right, they don't, they've never sounded great live. No. Uh, and, and that's not a knock on them. That's the, I guess, recorded versions of those songs just don't, translate like the energy would there in person i'm sure and if i could go back and do it i would love to i was too young but i would love to have been able to see those guys when i was you know 1991 when they were one of the biggest bands in the world it would have been just awesome to to catch them on tour for Neverland, right i mean we we would all be down for that but it didn't happen obviously we're a little too young and uh we we did get and i i i've waffled on this record for so long the the unplugged version and it's never been 
all that great sounding per se. And and that's I would say it sounds like that's what this record's like too. But the feel is great because it's in one place. And where this yeah. one is kind of all over the map. It's 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 funny to me that it like you even said it, it's not that good. But yeah, it does it's it the, holds a special place for you because that's it's what it you is. spend time with. It's yep. the it's the nostalgic um I think it's the first one I got into. Like I got in I had three eleven live, but that was in ninety eight. I think this was the first live album I got and I was gonna shit, I was gonna mention something. I, I can't remember what it was when you were talking, Tony. Oh, what it was is um yeah, this was supposed to be the B side to unplugged. Yep. And and uh I kinda like deep dove on that on Wikipedia and it checks out because there's only one song that's on both unplugged and this C D. So they intentionally split it like that. I think it's Polly, maybe. Polly's the only song that's on both. But yeah, this is the nostalgic, like, you know, it's the whole, like, who's the best band in the world? Okay, well, who's your favorite band? It's always different. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is by no means the best one. This is, like, it holds a special place. Yep. Oh, trivia. Ooh, what is this record's tie to the state of Maine, our our uh, hometown? Portland. What's that? Was it mastered in Portland? You motherfucker. <laughs> Bob Ludwig, yes. Gateway, Gateway Studios in Portland, Maine. Do you have the wiki pulled many, up many, or many. No. No? no. <laughs> I just, anything that was anything, especially, you know, the last 25 years was was mastered in Portland. Stuff that we loved. Yep. Tool, Bruce stuff. Springsteen, Nirvana. Yep. Yeah. Our ultimate claim to fame. Bob Ludwig, Grammy nominated winner. Multiple, Multiple winner. Yeah. Multiple. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, Nate. I got excited. No, that's cool. I would always, I, I want to meet that guy. In fact, we, our buddy Rob that came on here on the podcast, he used to tell me stories all the time, like text me like, man, we should really run down to fourth street because uh, Bob Ludwig's there with Bruce Springsteen right now having dinner. You know what I mean? Just as a nerd to like bombard him for autographs, but we we're like, nah, we can't do that. But like in retrospect, I probably should have done that. You know, I'm surprised um, you didn't knowing you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I still respect privacy. I didn't stuff, say yeah. you don't respect, but I mean, he's out, he's out in person. Like, okay. Yeah. It's Maine. Sorry. We're small, but I'm here yeah. too. sign my yeah. CD. Exactly. I'm one, one fan that knows you're here. Like it's not even like that, you know, bombarding, but, uh, you know, the funny thing about talking about how Nirvana is not great live. Cause that unplugged album was the first, or at least one of the first three albums I ever owned was an unplugged album. And I loved it. And I think part of it is what we were talking about earlier. Where you get to know Kurt a little bit cause he talks candidly between the songs and you never get that. Otherwise he's either super, uh, you know, out of it or he's, you know, condescending in interviews and you're like, you don't really get to know him and that unplugged album. You get to know him a little bit, which is great. But yeah, this live album, you know, you get that what you were talking about, like not, not that great live. And I think actually that answers the question why they were never my favorite grunge band. And it was always like Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden are like fighting for my number one. I mean, obviously Pearl Jam's number one, but like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden are also great and they're all great live. So it's like, three out of four are like phenomenal live and one isn't great live and they're the biggest one you know just shows you like you don't have to be great live you just have to i don't know represent what that kind of uh time frame stood for so they were great live for one one sitting i think and it was that the uh mtv unplugged yeah and it it's not necessarily sonically it's the feel of that if you watch those videos i mean i can't imagine being in that room that must have been really really cool yeah, it must have been pretty intense. And again, the video companion to it is can bring it to a whole nother level. Because that's the thing is if if this 
from the muddy banks had a visual to it it'd be like damn i'm all in like because a lot of this stuff was probably club shows it was i think some of it dates back to 89 90 wow yeah all right we ready for my my second one round two baby yep i'm gonna pull a i'm gonna pull an audible i i didn't look this one up in my research tonight but we got talking about listening to music and stuff we kind of that was formative for us growing up and this was a formative formative live record for me as a kid because my dad had again this goes back to going on vacation with my dad as a 11 12 13 year old and playing going on road trips and playing music in the car on road trips and this record always it was tom petty's greatest hits and this record and august and everything after by Conan crows always made it into the, the playlist here but it's it's Rock Spectacle by the Bare Naked Ladies. You guys probably would never have guessed it, so I'm not going to trivia you it. But yeah, the this record was always on. And it was before they got really big with One Week. It came out in 96. One Week was obviously their big song off stunt around the same time, 96, 97. But this was pre that. They had a big song before that, If I Had a Million Dollars. Most people are aware of it. Portland was definitely aware of it. They were kind of folk heroes in Portland from Canada, Montreal, I believe, in the area. They played Maine a lot. They love Maine. They love WCOY, our local radio station. They would play the patio outside in one city center a lot. They would come and play the Civic Center. I saw them there. They were my first concert. But this this record was always on. It was recorded in a couple of different places. Had a couple secret songs because it was the 90s and that's what you did. And uh, it just sounded great. And they sounded great. And it was songs that you didn't hear on the radio a million times so you could come back to this one after one week popped and after they became a massive pop punk or pop rock band uh from canada yeah these guys this this record you you guys probably never heard it no i just looked it up on wikipedia and i recognized the cover it's like the tannish um and then the classic uh almost like the carnival looking bare naked ladies logo but no like they were in that era they were like like the touring kings i feel like you know like mm-hmm. them and dave matthews it's like you know you go see them live like you don't even listen to the recorded stuff i feel like it was a, a live experience totally and it sounds like this probably captured that yeah uh one of my close friends growing up uh on the other side because i grew up in south portland with you guys but my parents weren't together so my dad lived in across the bridge in portland and down the street from his house was a kid that I grew up with named named Bert. Awesome dude. One of my best friends growing up. And we bonded over these guys. Like this was, I did it over there too. Sorry guys. I had friends in Portland that also love music and yeah, I wasn't cheating on you, but you know, it is what it is. When you're a nerd, you're a nerd with everybody. That's what you do. But yeah, it, we love these guys and we listen to them all the time and we listen to the old stuff. And you know, this was a formative record, live record for me. And that, that's why. Does this have that live track from the patio no, no, no. It, it okay. does have "If I Had a Million Dollars" on it. I think it closes out before the uh, the secret songs. Confirmed. But these are these are prior to prior to that patio show, I believe. Okay, because I remember like uh, our local station, CYY, of uh, Rob, former guest uh, or guest Robert Catelli. You know, I remember they played that track, that live track, all the time. All the like, time. Is it from? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't from this. But that I video this. is probably on YouTube, and I might, if I can find it, we'll put, we'll try to toss it on the YouTube playlist. But yeah, no, I'm pulling up this uh this image too. Just the image I remember. I think I had this T-shirt, and it's nice. like a fest. It looks like a festival bill type artwork, which I always appreciate. Yeah. But uh, yeah, talk about time capsule. Like they were huge back then. Mm-hmm. I think you 
was it you Twan that just compared like it was like them and Dave Matthews band or was that you tone? That was yeah, yeah. I mean not as big as them, but you get that type of following. Yeah. No, I think I think they were pretty equal at the time, which is amazing because they were small time and then they just blew up. And I think which is cool because Montreal's not too far from Portland. Like we were as a city kind of somewhat responsible for helping them get as big as they were with the help of, you know, CYY and their support, you know, they skyrocketed. It's almost like, it almost felt like a local band in a lot of ways, but yeah, man, great pick. I, I remember listening to this album too, and it definitely represents the live show, which is fun, energetic. It's feel good music. And uh, that's uh, what everyone needs in bare naked ladies. The name, the name's always been a little controversial, but, yeah, right. I think one of their first records was Bare Naked Ladies Are Men, which is yeah. That's a great. It's a great play on words. They're uh, from Scarborough, Ontario. Scarborough, Ontario. Yeah. Canada. Interesting. You're right, Nate. They felt like a local band for us, even though they they, they weren't. They were four hundred, what three hundred miles away or whatever. But they they definitely felt like a local band. They got the key to the city. Uh, they play Portland on every tour, either at the beginning or the end, or close to the end, because they'd probably end up in in Canada. But every U.S. tour, they'd they'd either start or finish in Portland, because they just love Maine. And uh, I've seen them in probably th- four times, three or four times. Uh, Stephen Page has obviously left the band for some personal reasons and some just some issues that he's had on his own. Still doing okay, I think. But yeah, those those guys when they had the full complement, the five guys, they they were. A lot of fun to see live. Was he the singer? One of them. Ed Robertson's the other one, yeah. Okay. Paige had the like funky kind of high, like almost nasally, not nasally, but kind of funky voice that nobody else had. Yeah. And Ed is the more straight-laced. Pinch me. You know the song Pinch Me? Mm-hmm. That's Ed. Yeah. I never I never saw them. Never saw them, I don't think. I'm surprised. They were a big CYY powerhouse band. But, I mean, the Canada thing and the main thing kind of makes sense. It's like a, you know, band from uh, Vancouver Maine breaking Canada. into yeah i was just gonna say it's like you ask people not from maine yeah i was gonna say it's like a band from vancouver breaking in seattle it's like no it's right across you know yeah. so you have the support of the usa so great pull man all right nate what do you got oh man i'm stoked to talk about this one because this one is uh maybe not the my favorite but i would say in my top three which is bold um the roots come alive dropped in 1999 good one and it's such an epic live album like introduced me to the band i think i got it in 2000 so i didn't get it when it dropped but totally you know embraced what they were doing from there on going forward uh the album was recorded in zurich switzerland and new york city so i got friends in switzerland so shout out to fabio and just like this it just captures everything they do live like they're such a unique hip hop band. You know, they actually play their instruments. Black Thoughts, fantastic. And they had a kind of a rotating, you know, lineup for a long time. But there's a vibe on this live album that like you play it through and talk about like unplug, like whether you're driving or I used to work at this uh, jazz cafe in uh, Lower East Side of New York City. And me and uh, the bartender were huge Roots fans. So we used to play this when we were all like closing down bar and like cleaning up and stuff and just like make it a, you know, a party basically and take shots of gin and stuff. Um, cool memories there. But um, yeah, it's just everything about this has positive connotation for me. And it's just like, it's such a cool, like, man, there's something like this that actually exists, like this jazzy hip hop, feel good, super nerdy music intricate like you know these people are masters of their craft type album and band so um 
I listened to it again today for the first time in I want to say 10 years. It's been a long time, but I have it on, on CD. And uh, when I lived in New York City, I caught them every chance to kind of relive this live album experience, like leading up to finally seeing them and then seeing them in New York City and kind of uh, almost emulating that translate from the from the album to live experience and got to meet them and stuff. And yeah, it just I've been a full a huge fan ever since. And I'm almost bummed that they're the backing band for uh, for Jimmy Fallon because they don't tour as much now because of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, tight. And this album like proves it like everything about it. They got Jill Scott on here kind of doing a special special appearance common Ice Raw Jaguar Rosdell was in the band at the time. I don't know if you guys heard this record. Razel. That's funny you say Razel. Remember the, the beat and the lyrics at the same time. Remember yeah. That? Yeah. He had <laughs> all, the All I Know song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was he was talented as hell. Yeah. I, I have thoughts. I have so many thoughts right now, Nate. I, I hadn't even thought of this. I was going to ask you guys when we got done, uh, not just a question that plagued me when I was looking through this. Is there a good live hip hop album? I, I was going to say no, but Nate. There is one. It's this one. This it's one's only fucking one. awesome. I've never heard. You've it. never heard it, Twan? No. Oh man. Oh, Twan. this is a great oh. one. And uh, you're right. Jill Scott. I love the Jill Scott uh, on "You Got Me." That's the Erica Badu part from the. It's one of my favorite version. songs. It's such yep. a great song, and that version of it is such an awesome. Like it crescendos. It's so good. Yeah. Oh this is why live albums are rule. Is you get that stuff. Yep. Don't get on the regular the regular record, and uh, there's a good. I want to say what's it called. Uh, the end of the record has a couple of bonus songs. Yep, exactly. Shit, what's the name of that one? Is it The Lesson? Uh, there's What You Want. Yes, that song yeah. is awesome. Dope. Yeah. Fucking dope, yeah. yeah. So that's just neither here nor there. But The Roots, not Jimmy Fallon's band. If we have younger listeners, they're not just Jimmy Fallon's band. They're an awesome, awesome hip-hop collective that plays plays instruments. Quest Love is just badass. Black Thought's badass. Check them out. So this is coming from someone who obviously I love love the roots, but I've never heard this live um, album. I assume their uh, MC level and lyricism flows through in this. Like you know, like you see a lot of rap shows where like I don't know they get too wrapped up in like the other guys, where the other guys will just finish the last word of the sentence. You can't even hear anything, and there's just too many people yep. on stage. Like I feel like this, they're true musicians the true lyricists where they can carry this like you've seen you you guys have seen that black thought nine minute freestyle on one of the radio shows like the dude is on another planet yeah it translates well Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. oh totally yeah and that nine minute solo i've seen that same exact thing and many i think i have it in one of my old iphones like recorded from when i've seen them like he's done that live nine minute freestyle Somewhere I just, had that buried somewhere. I just pictured yeah. Nate has like a drawer somewhere in his house with like seven iPhones in it. And he's like, ah, oh, which one of these has that black dot freestyle on it? <laughs> yeah. It's basically like the nerdery, nerdery bins with the posters, but you know, digital format stuff. That's what I was saying. Like that photos of the Dave Grohl, like me, Dave Grohl and stuff. I have a ton of stuff with other people. I just don't have it on me. Um, but yeah, no, great point Juan, because, and I think you mentioned it earlier to like, La- rap live like unfortunately isn't always that good um and i think it's because of what you're saying Twan. like they kind of they don't half-ass it but it's almost like they're kind of handing it off i've seen old videos of like eminem with like proof and like he says the last word and it's like supposed to look good but it actually kind of degrades the song a little bit doesn't really work um because there's no flow it sounds like they're just kind of 
huffing lyrics like they're not actually like in cadence with the music in the background exactly um, but this is the this is the exact opposite of that like they're literally tight um black thoughts an extremely you know well-written lyricist and the band is like be the backing band for anyone really it doesn't have to be hip-hop you know yeah um speaking of speaking of black thought like he's a tight drummer you know quest love quest love sorry yeah so yeah this is like the antithesis of that and uh yeah now that you say it tone like i don't think there's any other live hip-hop album that's even half decent but this Not one's on this like level. yeah yeah this is like a plus five star twan like definitely put this on but play it through and take some time and just you know this is a good unplug listen to this uh loud and have a few beers because it's like if it feels like a concert it feels like you're there and it's it's a vibe it's awesome without visuals it feels like you're, you're it's a concert i would completely agree i will disagree with you as far as uh, maybe not records but live shows underground hip-hop kills it that's true mm-hmm. they they know how to you know it's a different world. Your mainstream big acts, yeah, it's all about the stage show. It's all about passing it off, having special guests, getting people out on stage, getting people involved. I get that. That's that's part of what goes on with these bigger bands. But the underground cr- crew, the underground rap, I've been to a million of those. Those are those are fun, and those get done well. Now, do they translate to a live CD? Probably not. The irony is like they're typically the most skilled. You know. Yeah. Yep. One comment about the CD cover of this, Nate, is like it's just perfect. It like yeah. it captures the essence of the roots where it's like there's not a band member or not a group member in sight. It's um you know, the name and the albums in the corner, but it's just the microphone looking out into what looks like a like the Hammerstein ballroom or something, you know what I mean? It looks like it's a yep. looking out into a a venue. Actually it might is it Hammerstein? It's in New York. It was recorded in New York in Switzerland. It may be, yeah. I'm not sure, but that looks like it just from that photo. Well, I'm glad you answered my question of, is there a, a hip-hop record that, that does have a, a lot, or a hip-hop group that does have a lot of record that is worth putting on? This is definitely that one. And I don't know how it was my blind spot. I fucking love this record. I've listened to it a million times. I didn't know this existed. Nice. Didn't know it. So add this Twan, one to the you're, playlist. You're, 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 uh, we're making you eat a little crow here, man. There's some good live records out there. <laughs> well, I haven't listened yet. I might hate it. No. I, I'm, nah, I'm sure I'll love it. Like, you, the, these guys... On every uh, every group member is on a on another level. Yeah, no, they're tight, and this album just captures it perfect. I mean, recorded in '99, so I mean they've been a band for a long time. They're still going, so I feel like they were probably in a high on '99. Like they're still pretty big, but they weren't. You know, they definitely weren't doing a a late when show did, or anything. When did Phrenology drop after this? Right, oh one. Definitely after that was, this. Yeah, oh one. I think oh one oh two. And then yeah. uh, tipping point is awesome after yep. that. So there's there's some. I mean, they continued to put out great records. So this would have been yeah. what things fall apart era. Yeah, right around then. Yep. Yep. But yeah, you're right. I think they were at their commercial peak for phrenology. Which has has there ever been? They're probably the biggest hip hop group that never really had a smash single. The Seed was probably their biggest hit, right? It was. Seed 2.0? Yeah. I was going to say The Seed, for sure. Yeah, other than that, they were kind of, they were roots, you know? Everyone knew them for what they were, but they were never a headlining band. But, you know, for festivals, when I saw them, I'm like, if we'd miss this, we'd be morons to miss this. And I kind of take back, like, the fact that they didn't play a whole live that much when they were on Fallon, because when I lived in New York City, they played all the time. But, you know, they were in the city, so. And the great part is I would work my shift at that cafe I was telling you about on uh, Lower East Side, in uh 
Greenwich Village and um, finish my shift, you know, at the restaurant at like 10 or 11. And uh, they would play like late night shows that started at like 1230 at night, went until like two or three in the morning. So New York, baby. Yeah, it was great, man. All right, Tuan, let's let's wrap her up here. So I had one in mind earlier today and thought in the morning, I'm like, geez, we've talked about this friggin' band so much that I'm going to, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. So what I was going to pick was Rage is live at the Grand Olympic Auditorium. It's for a band that heavy. And here I am talking about, it, I can't get enough of it for a band <laughs> that heavy. It's the tightest live album on the planet. But anyway, we'll save, we'll save that for another time. Because it's we talk about it Drop every week. a bomb. See you later. Let's come back to that another time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna pick one. I I know you guys know of the band. Um, you probably don't know the album. So the band is uh, Earth Crisis. The album is the Oath that uh, keeps me free. Dropped in 1998. So we've mentioned Earth Crisis on this podcast. I think I mentioned them a couple times, but as recent as the episode with Brendan from Incendiary, because I compared their uh, kind of trajectory as a band to Vision of Disorder, where they were, you know, in a niche scene, you know, scene heroes, and then they made that leap to OzFest. And it didn't work out. And it didn't work out for anyone because their core fans are like, all right, you sold us out. And then OzFest fans kind of knew this wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't new metal, you know what I mean? So no one really won. But anyway, I'll come back to why I bring that up with this album. But um, yeah, so this album came out in 98 on Victory Records. A few reasons why I picked it and why it's one of my favorites. One, I have it on vinyl. I've had it on vinyl for probably 18 years, 2003, 2004. So I've listened to it a ton. And for being a small label, small band, small budget, it sounds so good. It's one of the best recorded live albums, pound for pound, without a big budget, which adds to it. For sure. So let me, um, another reason why I brought this up, because I think you guys would appreciate this story. So I'm going to walk you through. They released two albums in the mid 90s on Victory Records. They leave Victory in 98 to go to Roadrunner and they release Breed the Killers. What, al- what also comes out that same year is this album in 98 on Victory. So this was a label. This must have been to satisfy a label. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was, must have been the third record on that deal. So to kind of tie it back to the Ozfest thing, they drop that Breed the Killers album on Roadrunner. It bombs. What do they do? They sign back with Victory. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, they sign back with Victory. So, you know, there. W- one thing I wish there was more is like more on stage dialogue and banter. Because so like Carl Beekner, he's the singer. He's you know this outspoken. I don't know if you know anything about Earth Crisis, but they're a vegan straight edge band, and they they're almost mil- militant with that. I wish there was more of that, but I have interviewed him. I interviewed him back in 2007, back when I worked with College Radio. Cool guy, but um, yeah, I figured I'd mix it up because we've talked about Rage so damn much. Rage rage who? Rage against the what? Rage against the system of a down? I don't know. Yeah, with the sickness? But yeah, I would say pound for pound, this is, it's not the best. It's one of my favorites, and I think it's, again, it's that nostalgia play. It's that, you know, I got it. I don't know where the hell I got this, but back in probably like 2004, 
Um, this is a band that I don't know a ton about, but I actually almost made an Earth Crisis joke in the text today. So it's funny that you brought them up. This is one of those clairvoyant moments. I legit had it typed. I was like, no, wait, this is, I don't know if this works here. I'll, it, it's funny to me, but I don't think it makes sense. And it's now it's funny because you brought them up tonight. So. What was the joke? I honestly can't remember. Today was a fucking whirlwind. But it, it was, I was, it's it, like, oh, Earth Crisis? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I thought I had thought about them today, which is, if you had told me a year ago I was going to be thinking about Earth Crisis today, wouldn't have happened. It would not have been a thing. So <laughs> for it to come up twice in the same day from two different sources, that's pretty cool. And that's a testament to our podcast. But uh, it's something that I'm, I look forward to checking out and listening to. I love the put the album, the live album out to satisfy the deal, switch labels, bomb. Hey, guys, is the door still open? Can we come back in? <laughs> We'd love to put another album out with you. Like that's that fits so many different things in this life, right? Not not just world, not just music, just the world. Totally. It's the grass is not greener on the other side, legitimately a contract form. Like, no, it really isn't. We're going back to the roots. And I'm always intrigued by Roadrunner because they're kind of like the major label that's not even really a major label. Like they're sub major in a lot of ways, even though they have Nickelback and Slipknot and stuff, but like they're not epic. You know what I mean? They're not reprise or they're not capital records. And they're, I mean, they're pretty big, you know? I think by def, by definition, I think they are major. I think they are subsidiary type of thing. Yeah. But I get what you mean. Like, they're the, they're in disguise. You know what I mean? Like, they're not yeah. the big, bad major. Yeah. Well, because you can't get spinned on some of that, some of that material that they press. Like, you can't get in the top 40 ever. So, if that's what the music industry stands for, then, you know, Roadrunners kind of sub that. But, yeah, and at the same time, like they are signing all the biggest stuff within that genre um, and Nickelback. Um, <laughs> well, you need the Nickelback to sign the rest of it, as we talked about with Brendan. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense in every walk of life. You need that big, big bad going to bring the money in so that we can do those fun side project type things. Yep. Didn't Brendan, he mentioned it, right? It's like yeah. the seed capital, basically. The crazy thing ab about this album is like, I love Earth Crisis. They had a couple funky albums in there where they they definitely fell into the new metal stuff and they went to Roadrunner and even the return album on Victory, which is called Slither, bombed. It was like butt rock and <laughs> metalcore <laughs> with like some 311 mixed in combo. mixed in there. But um the reason I'm laughing is like no one was asking for a live Earth Crisis album. Like this is totally a uh <laughs> A label thing. And in Victory, if you know anything about Victory, they're the shystiest. Th I mean, they're not even a label anymore, I don't think. They're just no. money hungry, and they switched, they switched gears in the early 2000s for a money grab, and it got worse from there. But yeah, no one was asking for this. But I, I don't know. I just I love the artwork. I love everything about it. And the production, the sound, everything is good on it, too. Yeah. I mean, for it being yeah. 1998 and an indie label, Victory was indie, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy hmm, good. Interesting. It sounds better than Nirvana, the Nirvana uh, compilation. Was it recorded in one spot, or was it one of those kind of, here's a song from here, here's a song from there? One, one spot. Yeah, it's a whole that, set. That, I think that helps. Oh, I mean, awesome. I do think that helps. Um, and, and that's the thing that we've kind of come back to recently. We've, we've talked about uh, off air in, in our group text. Nate and I both signed up for Nugs.net for full show listens. Like, I want to relive a couple of shows that I went to. And there's some video and stuff like that too. And the deal was good. So yeah, I'm in, I'll, I'll do a year of this and see if this is something I like. And 
it's a full show and you get the banter in between you get the the whole vibe of the concert not necessarily like you were there but if you were there like i've got a couple kind of crow show on there uh i think there's another another act i don't know if it's 311 or somebody else but there's a few on there that i was actually at that's I've awesome through to it again i was like oh cool yeah i remember that I, oh i don't remember that why where is it let's listen to it again so that that's been kind of fun and that helps the full set and then pressing it which we're going to see more of of all this live stream stuff too yeah the that is cool to see that one cohesive piece of art as opposed to song from here from 1994 song from here from 1995 seven from this place four from this place and they mishmash it together totally and we're not affiliated with Nugs, but yes, we did sign up. Me and Tone, um, we're trying to peer Yet. pressure to one. Yet. Yes. <laughs> Yet. But I mean, I was just thinking, like, when you're saying that, like, if if it's like a Facebook memory where it's like, remember this concert you went to? If that happened for like every show that I went to, like every show in your database, Tone, and they're like, do you want this it's a memory? Like, you could have the whole show mastered, you know, quality bootleg of this show. I would buy every single one of them. Yeah. So. If Nug wants to step it up, I am. I got tons of money to shell out for every show I want to, just to have it, to relive it, to you know, go back in time, kind of thing. And the reason I'm such an advocate for live recordings is it's a lot of the reasons I get into certain bands is from live recordings. So the roots I got into them from this record. Um, so I might get into Earth Crisis just from listening to this record, even you know, not knowing them at all and being like, all right, now I can check it out because it's like in a lot of ways, like a live recording is like a, a greatest hits on a nerd level. You get you get it all. So, I'll mail out my uh, copy on wax of uh, the oath that keeps me free. <laughs> don't don't sell it, Nate. Because I mean, Tuan, that's probably that's probably gonna be worth a couple of bucks. Yeah, how many yeah. of those are kicking around? I don't think. And yeah, I mean, small pressing for sure. It's yours. Like that's the fun part about that is this is mine. I, I I'm happy. I've lived with it. I've listened to it. I get to I kept it because it's one of my favorites. It's one I never sold over the years. I just it, the artwork's cool. It's it's got like the almost looks like a like a tattoo design I'll, I'll when we get off this i'll show you guys nice but you guys you guys listening can't see it oh wait no it'll be part of the it'll be part of the music uh the, the podcast companion the photo companion we put out later this week yeah on youtube right there and i think we'll probably do on the socials like we did last week right i mean we just oh, put that, all those foos pictures we had of the foos now i didn't realize we had that much stuff kicking around that was fun <sighs> We're nerdier than we look. <laughs> we're, no, we look pretty nerdy. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so if you're if you're listening and you follow us on socials, drop a comment or email us with what your favorite live uh, albums are. Because again, the the reason why we did this episode is we're starving for the live stuff. Like there's only so many of these CDs you can listen to, and and like you said, like uh, Tony and Nate just said, they they're signing up for services to listen to live stuff. Like we're craving it, guys. <laughs> we're getting closer we are getting closer every day and yeah. at some point we'll be outside at least i bet with that stuff so i'm hoping we get a fun outdoor uh concert experience this summer at least so that's coming yeah like tuan said hit us up on the socials you know comment send us a message on what your favorite live record live recording could even be like a random bootleg i'm just interested you know there's so there's so many styles of music and different different variations of live recordings that uh kind of catch your ear and translate you into a fan all of a sudden. So send, send it over to us. I want to check it out. All right, boys. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Potty Slay podcast, number 51 next week, and getting getting closer and closer to that year anniversary, which is kind of cool. Maybe an interview. Maybe not. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, we, we got some stuff in the pipeline. It's a, 
We'll see. We'll see. See how it goes. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you. Peace, buddies. Cheers, all. <laughs>